1: John's opinion of himself. I just love John's opinion of himself. Look at it. Look at it says in verse 23. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. I just like that. I just really like that. And you know what? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior today?
0: You can put your name in there. You can say, I'm one that Jesus loves. Do you realize the love God has for you? One of the saddest things is a Christian that walks around not knowing how much they're truly loved. As Pastor Dave continues his teaching series through the Gospel of John, he'll be reminding you that God demonstrated His love for you personally by sending Jesus to die on your behalf. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John, chapter 13, as he continues his message, The Sovereign Servant, part 4. You are
1: They're not rejecting you. Jesus will stand up for you. He will be there in the midst of the trial and the tribulation when people mistreat you. Because in his sight, they're mistreating him. If you're truly one of his children, in all our afflictions, he's afflicted. He will not leave nor forsake us. But this whole thing troubles Jesus' spirit. Look at verses 21 and 22. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me." Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Once again, we see a humanity side of Jesus. He was troubled once again. Remember, he was troubled in his soul. Now he's troubled in his spirit. Why? Why? Because he loved Judas. Jesus loved Judas. Jesus loved him, even though he knew one day Judas would betray him. He still invested time in Judas because he loved and cared for him. One will betray me. One of you will betray me. When I hear these words, I have to admit when I read them, at least for me, I hear a hint of discouragement. I hear a hint of disappointment, but make no mistake about it. Jesus is still in control. Jesus is still in control of the situation, even through the pain, the discouragement, the disappointment. Jesus was always in control. And what's interesting, again, to me, is that none of the disciples knew who it was, and they all suspected themselves. That's how weak their faith was. They all suspected themselves, because they knew their flesh would do it. I love it, because if you look at Matthew 26, they all looked around the table going, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And what I love about this, remember the argument they had at the beginning of the supper? Who was the greatest? They weren't sitting there going, must be him, must be him. They're all going, is it me? Is it me? I love that. I love that. They were wondering, who was it? This was a tight-knit group of guys. Three and a half years it was a long time to spend with people. They grew close, but this was unnerving. Someone was going to betray our Lord. Is it I? Is it I? None of them had the confidence. Is it I? Is it I? The sad part about this is, several hours later, most of them would run away. Most of them would hit the trail, and one of them, one of them would deny the Lord openly three times, to his face. It was obvious that the other disciples didn't know they didn't know it was Judas they had no idea because he had done nothing suspicious and what does this tell me what it tells me is there are people among us who say I'm a Christian but they're really not they really haven't made the move to become born again they really haven't made the move to follow Jesus in all things oh they say all the right things They can say all the great things. They have all the Christianese down pat. They can tell you all this thing. When you're preaching, they can go, amen, brother. They can say all the great things they want to go. But inside, there hasn't been a change in their heart. Inside, there's still that old person. And they're posing. And they're deceiving. They're deceiving you. But they're not deceiving God. God will not deceive because he knows what's in your heart. He looks right into you. He knows what's in your heart even right now. He will not be deceived. Oh, these people always say the right word. They even pray like champs. They use flowery words and things like that. But there's nothing in their heart. Their heart is empty. They've never really surrendered to Jesus Christ. We sang, I surrender today. Have you? Have you truly surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ? Not in just some word that that... A pastor leads you through, but have you truly surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ? Can you truly say, not my will, but your will? Can you truly say, I trust in you, Lord, for every single thing I ever do or ever done. I trust in you to forgive me. I trust in you for eternal life. I surrender everything to you. Where can I go? You have the words of life. Have you done that? Have you done that? I love the way Jesus protects Judas. I love the way Jesus protects Judas. He could have stood up and said, it's him. Then what would have happened? What would have happened? You read some of the accounts in the garden when they came to get him. Peter had a sword. He takes it out and cuts off Malchus's ear. So what would have happened to Judas if Jesus had stood up and said, it's him, guys. It's him. I don't know. Jesus protected Judas to the very end. Jesus loved Judas with all he had. Jesus loved Judas with all he was capable of loving, but it did not have any effect on Judas. It had no effect. And again, we're not going to get into the argument that the theologians want to argue about. That's not the point I'm trying to make here. I'm trying to say, what did Jesus do? Jesus loved this man. But you know what it says? Inquiring minds want to know. Inquiring minds want to know, so Jesus identifies his betrayer. Let's look at 22 through 26. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask. Motion, excuse me. Now there was one leaning on Jesus's bosom, um, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was to whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus's breast, he said to him, "Lord, who is it?" And Jesus answered. It is he to whom I shall give piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Well, Peter heard Jesus say, one of you will betray me. And Peter's going, what? What did he say? Yo, John, yo, find out who it is. Yo. Peter was angry. That he was over in that last seat. He wanted to be part of the mix. He was angry. But he gets Peter's attention and says, let's find out who it is. And you gotta love. This is the first time it's written. And I just, I just love this passage. I love so many passages in the Bible. It's just so much fun to read it. I love John's opinion of himself. I just love John's opinion of himself. Look at it. Look at it says in verse 23. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. I just like that. I just really like that. And you know what? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior today? You can put your name in there. You can say, I'm one that Jesus loves. You can take that personally, just like the Apostle John. I'm one that Jesus loved. I like that. That's pretty cool. And every time when we get further, when they go to the tomb, the one Jesus loved, out round Peter to the tomb, you know? I love that. I just love that. John's opinion. He says, who I give the piece of bread to after I've dipped it, He's the traitor. So he makes it known to John. He trusted John. Jesus really, really trusted John with the words. Notice he didn't blurt it out. He said to John, the one I dipped the bread to him. I'm sure Peter said, what? What? One commentator said this about the dipping of the bread. It's called the sop. They dipped it in what's called the sop. The giving of the dipped bread designated special honor. Something like a toast at a banquet. It marks courtesy and esteem. What's this example? This is an example of Jesus' unconditional love. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew what Judas was going to do, and he dips the sop in honor, not only to tell John, but in honor of Judas to give him. Now he dips the sop in his right hand, and he goes like this and gives it to Judas. John's eyes must have got this big. Peter, what'd he do? Go, John, what'd he do? Jesus knew Judas was against him. Jesus knew Judas would be, that Judas would betray him. But yet his love, his goodness seemed to become greater instead of lesser. Jesus gave Judas the chance to repent without revealing him as the traitor to all the disciples. Jesus, Jesus was more concerned about Judas than he was about his own life. Jesus tells John who the betrayer is. John doesn't confront Jesus, Judas. Many think that it's because he really didn't understand what Jesus was saying, or perhaps he was so shocked that it was Judas that he was confused. But John doesn't tell us why he didn't confront Judas. So after being exposed, we see the end of our study today. Judas leaves. Let's read the rest, 27 through 30. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, do what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast or that you should give something to the poor. Having received a piece of bread, he went out immediately and it was night. Jesus already knew that Judas had a heart of betrayal. Back in John thirteen two. It says and supper being ended the devil having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot Simon's son to betray him Jesus knowing that the father had given him all things so Jesus knew Jesus knew that the love that he showed Judas would be rejected thus sealing Judas's fate when you reject Jesus Christ continually Remember what we talked about? You might get to a point where you cannot accept him, and thus you seal your fate. You seal the fate because the choice that you make becomes hardened in your heart, and your heart becomes harder and harder and harder, and you can't really accept Christ into your life because of the hardness of your heart. God makes that choice in your life your choice. That's your choice? Live with it. And the more you make the choice, the harder it becomes to accept Christ. When we constantly reject the love of God shown to us through Jesus Christ, eventually we too will seal our own fate. We will seal our own fate. Our hearts will become so hard that nothing will be able to penetrate them. God will harden the decision we make, and it will become harder and harder to accept the truth and believe in Jesus Christ to eternal life. That's been proven time and time again through scriptures. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus had already made a deal with the scribes and the Pharisees to betray Jesus before he went to the dinner. He had already made this deal. So his heart was getting hard and hard and hard. And Satan used that to his advantage. Satan thought he had an ally. Judas leaves the room in a hurry to do whatever he has to do quickly. thought about all this how to end everything, how to bring it to conclusion. Sad thing here is betrayal is a part of life. We have all experienced betrayal at one time or another. Some, some of us, have even been the betrayer at some time or another. So how do you respond when you yourself are the betrayed? How do you respond? We have an example of how Jesus responded. I don't know about you, but what happens to me, I usually get angry. I usually get mad. I don't see Jesus doing this. Even though it must have been a very emotional moment, it must have been a very difficult time, even though you know it's coming, it happens. Sometimes you can be prepared for something, knowing that it's coming, and then when it does happen, it kind of catches you off guard anyhow. Not that this happened to Jesus. I'm just saying for me. But even in his most trying times, Jesus is a model of unconditional love. Unconditional love. Scripture tells us that Jesus understands all that we may encounter in life. He understands our temptations. He understands our weaknesses. He understands our problems. He understands our poor thought pattern. He understands our lack of faith. He understands all the things. He understands that we are weak and are tempted by Satan. He was also, but he never sinned. He never did. Jesus tells Judas to, whatever you got to do, do it quickly. Notice that Jesus didn't jump up and try to stop him and persuade him not to do it. Jesus never threw a fit about Judas's leaving. Instead, he responded with grace. Even though Judas was going to betray him, Jesus' response was kindness and graciousness, wrapped totally in love. Betrayal is a gross violation of trust, and that can be one of the most devastating forms of pain inflicted upon a human being. The suffering of betrayal is almost magnified by the sense of vulnerability and exposure. For many, the pain of betrayal is worse than the physical violence, deceit, or prejudice. Betrayal destroys the foundation of trust. David was no stranger to betrayal. Look what he says in Psalm 55, verses 12 through 14. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising up against me, I could hide from him. But it's you, a man like yourself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked, with the throng at the house of God. The closer the relationship, the greater the pain when betrayal comes. Jesus knew the pain of betrayal firsthand. But Jesus did not become vindictive. He did not become victim. He did not become bitter. He did not become angry. In fact, just the opposite. We're going to find out in the garden when Judas comes up for the final betrayer or betrayal, Jesus addresses him and says, friend, so we'll calls him a friend. Despite the pain, there is a way we can overcome betrayal. The power given to us by God's word and through the Holy Spirit gives us the strength for forgiveness. Gives us the strength for forgiveness. And it is not easy, folks. It is not easy. David laments of a broken trust in Psalm 55. And he hints about how to overcome pain. He says, but I call to God and the Lord saves me. Every morning and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. The first key to overcoming betrayal is cry out to God. Look to God. Don't look for revenge. Don't look to get even. Look to God. Look to God. Don't strike back at the betrayer. Take the cause to the Lord. In 1 Peter 3, 9, it says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because of this, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Bless someone. So the first key is coming to God, calling out to God. Another key over pain is to remember Jesus' example. My sinful nature wants to repay evil with evil. But Jesus taught otherwise. Do not resist an evil person if someone strikes you on the cheek, Turn him the other also. Pray for those who persecute you, Jesus said. When Jesus was abused, he did not return abuse. We should conform to his example by not repaying abuse of a betrayer with abuse. Read the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted, who are reviled. Another powerful key of overcoming the bitterness of betrayal is our God-given ability through the Holy Spirit to forgive. To forgive as we have been forgiving. As we have been forgiving. You know, what it means here is to forgive somebody is actually giving them a gift. When you forgive someone, you actually give them a gift. It's a freedom. It's a freedom, number one, from personal retaliation But you're giving them a grudge-free life. You're setting yourself free. Because if you hold a grudge against somebody who has betrayed you, a lot of times you walk around with that grudge in your heart and the person that betrayed you doesn't even know that you're hurting. So by forgiving them, you've released yourself. You've taken the burden off of you. You've taken that anvil off your head. And no, you don't throw it at them. You've taken that anvil off your head. Trading our bitterness and anger for love of God is a wonderful life-giving exchange. There's nothing like trading our hurt. What's that song we used to sing? Oh yeah, the one you were learning. Yes, Lord, I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading, you know, I'm tra- we trade in our sorrows and we receive blessings. We receive love, we receive grace, we receive mercy. When you forgive as you've been forgiving, what a blessing pours over you. You're relieved. The pressure is removed. You, you don't have to worry about those things. You're relieved. Jesus taught that loving our neighbor as ourselves should be proactive. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Without question, it's enormously difficult to forgive a person who's betrayed our trust. You're not trusting in God. Remember what I said last week about trusting in God for the vertical of the cross? You don't have that part down If you don't have that part down, solidified, If you're not loving God with all your heart, there's no way you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. There's no way you're going to treat your fellow man with anything but disgust. You've got to have this part right. You've got to be solidified in the Lord. Those who have experienced God's love understand what it means to be loved unconditionally. I don't deserve to have God's love. I deserve to be a crispy critter somewhere in hell. I don't deserve his love at all. But for some immense reason that doesn't comprehend in my finite mind, God has chosen to forgive me and give me grace through Jesus Christ. And I don't understand it, but boy, I like it. I accept it. And I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that grace. Only with the help of God's spirit can we love and pray for those who seek to do us harm. Judas' story should teach us to guard against these small, gradual failings that come up in our lives, that gain strength and power. The little snowball of hate, the little snowball of revenge, the little snowball of disdain that continues to roll and get bigger and bigger and bigger if you don't do anything about it. Opens up a whole thing of deadly influences. Judas's story also a reminder of the great appearances can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. That's why we need to gift of discernment from the Holy Spirit. We all can deceive each other. But with the Holy Spirit within us, we will know the truth and be set free. Jesus thought This one horrible verse, and I've used it time and time again here in this podium, and it still sends chills up and down my spine. You know what probably the verse I'm going to. Jesus said, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not perform miracles in your name? And he will look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Deception has a price. Especially if you're deceiving the Lord. It has a price. To get right down to it, the heart of the matter is the heart. The heart of the matter is the heart. So, if you have been betrayed, pray, seek God with all your heart, and forgive as God has forgiven you. you are a sure hope.
0: We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on A Sure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab.